Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing to be here. Uh, if you want to uh, go ahead and mark your Bibles here in 1 Timothy 3, if you already have your Bibles open there, uh, and if you have some second way of marking, you, you can mark over in Acts chapter 6. Uh, those are the two places that we'll be spending the majority of our time in today, 1 Timothy 3 and Acts chapter 6. Last week, we started a series on leadership and organization in the local church. And our, our goal in that is to see God's design, to see his blueprint for how we are supposed to function, how we are supposed to be structured. Uh, and this is not going to follow worldly wisdom. Uh, it's not going to follow earthly business models uh, because the church is not a business. It is a temple. It is a body, a family, a flock, and Jesus is its builder its head, its chief shepherd. And so he alone has the wisdom and authority to direct us. And so in everything that we study in this series, in, in everything that we study, period, uh, we want to make sure that we're looking to God's will and God's pattern within the scriptures. We talked last week about shepherds, those who are entrusted with souls, also called elders, also called overseers within the scriptures. But today I want us to focus on this idea of deacons in the local church. Deacons, those entrusted with a task or entrusted with a ministry or service. Um, what are deacons? Why do we need them? And who are they intended to be or what type of men? Should they be? And so, first of all, what are deacons? Uh, what, what does this word even mean? We, we don't commonly use the word deacon in a non religious context. Uh, part of the reason for that is because the word deacon is actually a trans, what you call a transliteration of a Greek word. So, we, we kind of made up a new word in English to describe this Greek word, diakonos. Uh, and so that's where we get our word deacon. If you were to literally translate this word, which it actually often is in the New Testament, uh, you would translate it servant, or in some cases, minister. Uh, W.E. Vine says this word diakonos primarily denotes a servant, whether as doing servile work or as an attendant rendering free service, without particular reference to its character, the type of work that is being done. It says, Diakonos views a servant in relationship to his work, whereas doulos, a word often translated slave or bondservant, views him in relationship to his master. And so this word just means a servant. Um, it could be the slave pulling the plow out in the field, or it could be uh, you know, the waitress serving you your food at the, the restaurant. The, the word itself doesn't tell us what type of work. It doesn't tell us what the exact relationship is between the server and the one being served. But the word itself just tells us that this is one who is doing an act of service. Uh, this word is used 29 times in the New Testament, most of the time it's not translated deacon. Um, these 20 time, times that it's used, sometimes it's used to refer to household servants. You may remember in John chapter 2 when Jesus turns the water into wine. 
Uh, he tells the servants, the, the household servants, to go and to take that water out and take it to the, the chief of the feast. Uh, and so there is the word diakonos, deacon. And yet in that context, it's just describing somebody who, who was rendering service or had a position of service within that household. The word diakonos is used sometimes and generally to apply to all Christians. All of us, in one sense, are to be deacons, uh, or are at least to be diakonos, um, servants. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26, Jesus says, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. He's not talking in that context about some specific role within the church. He's talking about what all Christians are to be towards one another. In some cases, uh, this word is translated minister. Uh, and in these cases, it's normally applying to somebody whose area of service was the word itself. Um, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, uh, as Paul is speaking to this church in Corinth, he says, What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, or ministers, or diakonos. Here they were servants to this church in the sense that they had ministered to them with the word, sharing the word with them. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, as Paul is talking about the spread of the gospel there, he says, which has been proclaimed to all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That's our word diakonos. Uh, and so he was a servant in the sense of spreading the gospel, spreading the word to all creation. But there are some cases within the scripture that this does have reference to a specific role or position within the, the local church. Clearly the passage that Brad read for us in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us specific qualifications for these deacons. And so we're talking about something beyond what every Christian is supposed to be. Um, we're, we're talking about a specific position of service within the church. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, when Paul writes to the saints in Philippi, he says, with the overseers and deacons. Now pairing those together, he's probably here again talking about this role, this specific position within the church uh, of those who meet the qualifications described in 1 Timothy 3. So what is this rule? We, we know that there are those who are to take this position of special servants within the local church, but what, what does that even mean? Um, if we only take these two passages where the actual word deacon is used, we don't really have a description of what that work is beyond the fact that, that, that they are rendering service. And that's why I think we need to look at Acts chapter 6. If you'll turn back over to Acts chapter 6, I think here uh, perhaps is the only place that, that we see a description of what the work or what the role, I believe, of a, of a deacon should be. Read with me in Acts chapter 6, uh, verse 1 through 3. Remember, this is in the, the infancy of the church in Jerusalem. It says, starting in verse 1, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint about the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. 
or who we will entrust with this task. So you might look at that passage and say, well, I, Grady, I, I don't see the word deacon anywhere. Uh, well, you don't see the noun deacon, but you do, in fact, twice see different forms of the word deacon in this passage. If you look there in verse 1, when it says that they were being neglected in the daily distribution, or some versions say in the daily serving of food, that, that's a form of the word deaconos, not in the noun form, but, but describing the work, uh, the daily deaconship, the daily serving of these people's needs. Later on in verse 2, when uh, the apostles, when the twelve uh, speak, it says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. There again is our word uh, in the verb form of deaconos. Uh, this is their deaconing <laughs> their, their work. Uh, and so here, while we don't have um, the noun form, it does seem that the work that they're doing is the work of a deacon. Um, and I, I would ask the question, if these are not deacons, then who are they? Here, clearly, um, this is a specific work that has been entrusted to these men. And in fact, uh, a work that they had to be appointed to, that they had to meet certain qualifications to fulfill. If, this, if these are not deacons, then is there some other role, some other position within the church that we should take from Acts chapter 6? Um, I, I think here, uh, what, what we do see is a pattern of, of what the work of a deacon should be. Um, because th this is clearly a, a position to which these men had to qualify and be appointed by the church. Um, and there, there are a couple objections to that. Um, some might say, well, you, you look at the qualifications here in Acts chapter 6, uh, when it says there in verse 3, these must be men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we appoint to this duty. You know, those aren't the same qualifications that you see in 1 Timothy 3. Well, that, that, that's true, um, but I think as we talked about last time with elders, you don't see the exact same qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1 uh, because these weren't intended to be considered uh, checklist items that we're going through. Uh, is the character described here in Acts 6 the same as the character described in 1 Timothy 3? I, I think yes. Uh, and here in Acts chapter 6, we have a narrative uh, which is not being written to provide instructions on what a deacon needs to be. Uh, it just mentions in passing uh, some of the things that, that they needed to be, whereas 1 Timothy 3 might, in that context, be going into a little bit more detail. Another one of the objections made to, to these men here in Acts 6 being deacons is that if they are deacons, well, then we have an example here of deacons without elders. And certainly that can't be the case. Well, I think we're reasoning backwards there, if that's our reasoning not to believe that these are deacons. Um, if we've already made up in our minds that there's no way that you can have deacons without elders, and we don't see elders in the church at this point uh, in Acts chapter 6, therefore it can't be deacons. We're, we're, we're reasoning from our conclusion back to uh, the fact that these can't be deacons. Uh, let, let's just let the Bible speak for itself. I think you do see in the context here that there is a unique situation in which you have a, a leadership of the apostles 
in this early church. It's not that there was no delegating authority here. Um, but I, I, I don't think that's a reason not to see these men as deacons. And the fact is, if these men are not deacons in Acts chapter 6, then we literally have no evidence within the scripture whatsoever what the role of a deacon is. We have qualifications for them in 1 Timothy 3, so we can appoint them and they can wear the name, but then we don't even know what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I think here in Acts 6 is our example of what the role of a deacon is, what this deaconship, this task that they're to be entrusted with is. And so what we see is that these men were put in charge of a task, the New American Standard says. Or here, uh, the ESV says they were appointed to this duty. So deacons should be men that are delegated some portion of authority over a specific task, a specific service or ministry, or you might say a deaconship. Uh, And you see this in verse 3. Uh, as we already said, when they're appointed to this duty, but also in verse 6, it says, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, this is something culturally that we may not be as familiar with as the Jews would be. But this act of laying hands uh, in throughout the, the Old Testament, throughout Jewish culture, is this idea of a, a transference of uh, authority, or, or power, um, kind of symbolic of a, of a blessing or approval or transferring of, of responsibility here. You see this even into the Old Testament. Uh, we see Moses laying his hands on Joshua and kind of passing on some of this leadership authority to, to Joshua uh, among the people of Israel. You see the uh, church in Antioch um, laying hands on Barnabas and Saul before they go out. Uh, on their first missionary journey. Uh, You see in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, it says that Timothy had received the laying on of the hands of the eldership in that passage. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14 to do the work that he was doing. Um, And in Acts chapter 8, we see this was even part uh, symbolically of, of what was going on when they would pass on the, the power, the, the miraculous works of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so th- this imagery of laying on of hands is, is a giving of a certain amount of, of power or authority or responsibility and passing that on to individuals. And so here we see that these men are entrusted with an authority, not over souls like the shepherds who are watching out for the flock itself, but over some area of ministry, some task, some deaconship if you will. Whereas shepherds oversee souls, deacons oversee tasks. Uh, But we see that deacon is not some honorary title. It involves a specific work. If if you look in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 10, um, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 10, he says, And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Being a deacon is a service. It is a task. It is a work that you're ending to. It's not a, just a title or, or an office or a position or some honor being bestowed on them. We do see later on that it, it should come with honor. It is an honorable thing. Uh, but... It's not just some honorary title. You don't appoint a deacon 
just so he can be a deacon. No, these men in Acts chapter 6 were appointed because there was a task that needed to be done. And I think sometimes we have this idea that, well, we, we need to appoint deacons because, well, I don't know. Uh, that's what you do. <laughs> but we see in Acts chapter 6, it was because there was a specific task that needed to be entrusted to men. Men who could be trusted to do that work. And so, biblically, I don't think you can be a deacon without having a deaconship. Without having an area of service that you are specifically entrusted to. The one example that we see of that in Acts chapter 6 was this serving of tables. Um, the, the need going on there among the, the Grecian widows of the congregation. Um, but I think the application is many different areas of service. Many different what we might call ministries, can be entrusted to deacons. So you can't be a deacon without a deaconship. You can't be a minister without a ministry. You can't be a servant without a service. Uh, And one other thing that I want us to notice before we leave Acts chapter 6 is that deacons were selected by the church as a whole, not just by the leadership. Look back with me here in Acts chapter 6. Notice what it says in verse 3. It says, Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among, your, uh, among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will put, uh, whom we will appoint over this duty. So here he says, you select from among yourselves seven men, and we will delegate this authority to them. You look again later on in verse 6, it says, these they set before the apostles. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. Um, I think this also gives us some indication how even the appointing of elders uh, is, is to take place. Uh, it's not something that, that a few people um, determine that, you know, we, we decided that this person is going to be an elder. Or we decided this person is going to be a deacon. It's something that the congregation was involved in. Now, God's given us guidance on who that needs to be. Um, so it's, it's his direction. But it is the congregation as a whole we see here in Acts chapter 6 that is involved in the selection of these men. Uh, And so as we think about those things um, and pray about those things, let's remember that this is something that we are all to be involved in. But why do we need deacons? Uh, You know, we here have functioned for a long while without deacons, just as we've functioned without shepherds. But I think what we see is this is part of God's design, and we, even as we look through the scriptures, can see God's wisdom in this. Um, Delegating authority and assigning responsibilities ensures that the work is accomplished. Back here in Acts chapter 6 in verse 1, there's a problem here. The problem is that these Grecian widows, that this task, this ministry, is being overlooked. And when something is being overlooked, Here, the solution is to entrust somebody with oversight over it, right? And so when we fail to delegate certain jobs to qualified people, uh, either it's it's not going to be done, it's going to be neglected, uh, something is going to be overlooked, um, or in some cases, maybe some unqualified individual will uh, take over that role uh, and not handle it the way that it needs to be. and so if, if we don't delegate specific tasks, as we see here, uh, there's a danger that they won't get done at all. Uh, because we'll think, well, it's not my responsibility. It's not your responsibility. Um, 
and uh, we, we kind of pass that along uh, until it, it simply doesn't get done. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 6, Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Where it says there, there are varieties of service, that again is a derivative of our word diakonos. Um, there are a variety of deaconships, is what we could say here. Uh, and so there are many different tasks that need to be taken care of that need somebody um, taking leadership and, and making sure, sure that that ministry uh, gets done. Later on in the same chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, he then goes on to describe the church as a body and how each part has a different role, has a different service. Uh, and God's design is not that every part of the body has the exact same responsibilities and the exact same role. Uh, can you imagine if that's the way that our bodies functioned? That every responsibility that the body has, every part shares it equally. Uh, well, th then your, your hand might be chewing your food, and, and your ear might be digesting it, and your, your feet are, are playing patty cake, and your, your belly button's watching TV. You know, it, it, that, that's not how it's supposed to work. Here, each part of our body has a different role. Uh, and God's design is that where there are tasks that specifically need um, some oversight, need somebody to, to take charge and have some authority over this task, uh, that we entrust that to different individuals. And so while in the infancy of uh, the church, certainly we, we share many responsibilities equally, uh, we, we see that there is a pattern that some responsibilities need qualified men to have oversight, to be entrusted uh, with oversight of, of that, that ministry or that task. And we see that delegating tasks to qualified men will free shepherds to tend to the spiritual needs of the flock. Here in Acts 6, obviously you have a slightly different situation where the apostles are still the, the leadership uh, of this church. But you see there in verse 2 what they say. It says, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, what they're saying here is not, that's not important, don't worry about it. Um, because what they go on to do is appoint men to take care of that. Uh, but they say, there, there's other work that we need to be focusing on. We need people who can be entrusted this work, that it might not distract us from, from doing the work, in this case, of, of spreading the word. And I think we, we see that in the relationships between overseers and deacons, between shepherds and deacons, um, that what sometimes happens is that shepherds become kind of a board of directors, that they become uh, a leadership that, that's simply watching over the finances of the church and the business of the church, and they failed to look out for the souls of the church, which is the work that shepherds are supposed to be doing, because they've gotten bogged down with the physical aspects of the different tasks of maintaining the, the, the physical aspects of, of uh, the, the assembly. And yet God's design 
is that there be men who can be entrusted with maybe some of the more physical tasks and services that need to be taken care of, um, and that those men can, can function as deacons. I think we see this principle more generally, uh, even in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 18, you have a situation where all of Israel is coming to Moses um, with, with any of their uh, different legal cases, any of their complaints with one another, everything and everything they're coming to Moses to, to decide what needs to happen. Um, and yet Moses' father-in-law uh, says to him in Exodus chapter 18, verse 18, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And so what he suggests in verse 21 and 22, he says, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people. In verse 22, he says, Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So all the way back at the beginning of the nation of Israel, this, this principle that some authority, some leadership needs to be delegated, um, is, is seen from the outset. Uh, this certainly is not an exact parallel to what we're talking about here, uh, but the principle applies. Uh, shepherds don't have to make every single decision uh, about the, the, the uh, assembly and the work of a congregation. Uh, they can entrust oversight to, uh, and ta of tasks to men that the congregation is confident will make wise and moral decisions. Uh, and I think it's interesting, even in the qualifications mentioned by Jethro there in Exodus chapter 18, you see a lot of similarities in the qualifications for deacons in Acts 6 and in 1 Timothy 3. In too many cases, uh, evangelists start doing the work of shepherds, of pastors, <laughs> And shepherds start doing the work of deacons, and nobody really knows what deacons are doing. <laughs> um, and so we, we need to look at God's pattern, that shepherds are to be entrusted with the flock, with the souls, looking out for the spiritual well-being, the, fleeting, uh, the feeding and protection of the flock. Deacons need to be entrusted with tasks, with ministries, areas of service, um, that shepherds, uh, in, in part, might be freed up to do their work. And we do see that assigning oversight of these type of works to unqualified men can do great damage to the church. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10 uh, tells us, And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Um, th there is a great need for men who can be trusted with some level of authority, some level of oversight, not over souls in this case, but some level of authority and oversight over a task that they, they have are entrusted with authority to make decisions without getting full approval in every case from, from shepherds uh, if they are in place or, or from the congregation. Uh, and so it's important that we do go through this biblical process uh, of developing deacons um, to oversee tasks. But who should they be? Um, what qualifications are mentioned here in 1 Timothy 3? Uh, this is where we'll be spending the, most of the rest of our time here in 1 Timothy 3 uh, in verses 8 through 13. 
like we did with the elders, I, I don't want to get bogged down in every word and every detail. We, we, we will try to delve a little bit into some of the language here. But I want us to recognize this isn't a checklist that we're going through. This is a general description of character. Uh, and I think that's why we see a slightly different description in Acts chapter 6. Um, but first of all, I think we see in regard to the church, these men are to be respected. Uh, the ESV says dignified in uh, verse 8. Um, men of dignity. New King James Version says reverent. Uh, NIV says worthy of respect. Uh, Thayer says it's that characteristic of a person or thing which entitles to reverence or respect. Um, Trent says the word we want is one in which the sense of gravity and dignity is combined. So this is somebody who is both reverent in his attitude towards the Lord, but also one that in his actions uh, demands or, or earns respect from others. Somebody that is looked up to. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, we're told there these were to be men of good reputation. Um, in regard to character, we see that he was to be upright. First uh, Timothy 3 specifies that he's not to be double-tongued. He's to be somebody that is honest and sincere, not given to falsehood. Somebody that can be trusted in what he says. Um, and so he's not going to say one thing to please somebody over here and say another thing to please somebody over there. Uh, he is going to be a man of integrity. It says not addicted to much wine. And again, I think we need to recognize this, this is a general description of character. Uh, it's, it's not that we could look at this and say, oh, well, he's not addicted to wine, he's addicted to beer, it's okay. You know, obviously, what we're describing is an aspect of his character here. Somebody who is self-controlled, who is disciplined, not given to self-indulgence. Uh, somebody who can be trusted to, to exercise self-discipline uh, in his area of, of service. We also see that he's not to be greedy for dishonest gain. Uh, somebody that can be trusted, even in some cases with financial decisions and, and management of, of certain things. He's not going to be one who's given to greed or materialism, uh, but somebody who is a man of integrity, whose highest priority is spiritual and not physical, doing what is right in God's sight, not just that which would be for his own personal gain. Um, Back in Exodus 18, uh, we were told that those men were to be men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. So again, we see some parallels even um, with, with that Old Testament concept. In regard to spirituality, he is to be faithful. It says here in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What, what does that mean, hold the mystery of the faith? I think here we're, we're talking about him holding the gospel, hold, holding God's word. Uh, and he is to, to hold fast to sound doctrine. He's, he's to be knowledgeable in God's will revealed within the scriptures. I think sometimes when it comes to asking someone to take care of some task, some ministry within the church, we immediately think, well, is he capable in this area of service? And it's not that that doesn't matter, certainly. Uh, we, we don't want to be appointing somebody to take care of something that they know nothing about. 
but I think what we see here is that what is of, of most foundational importance uh, is his integrity in, in handling spiritual things and handling God's word um, and his relationship with the Lord first and foremost. So this can't just be a man of, of ability. Uh, this needs to be a man who is holding to the mystery of the faith. Um, it says with a clear conscience. So he's not just, just holding it. He's, he's doing it. Uh, he's not just a, a hearer of the word, but a doer, uh, putting it into practice from day to day. In Acts chapter 6, in verse 3, these men were to be full of the spirit and wisdom, it says. Uh, they were to have the fruit of the spirit within their lives, uh, to be holding to the, the, the revelation and, and the wisdom of God's spirit and allowing that to guide them in the things that they do from day to day. And fourthly, in regard to his family, he is to be a strong spiritual leader. You see there in verse 11, uh, I believe Brad's version said, women likewise must be. The ESV says their wives likewise must be uh, dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Um, here in the Greek, you, you don't have a, a Greek word for wife per se. Uh, if I was going to say Aaron is my wife in Greek, I would say Aaron is my woman. Um, and so those, the reason the ESV will translate that wife is because those can be used interchangeably. Um, however, uh, some have seen this, that this is qualifications for women deacons or deaconesses. Um, again, as we said, that word deacon is used in the majority of times it's used in the scripture, it's used in a much more general sense. Um, but there is a word for deaconess, a female form of a servant. And he could have used that word here, but he doesn't. He says women, or like we said, could be translated wives. And the very next thing that he says in verse 12 is that deacons each must be the husband of one wife. Uh, and so I think we see that connection there that he's describing the character of their wives in verse 11 and goes on to describe them in relationship to their families. Uh, and so the, the character of their wives says something about them. It says something about their priorities and the, the, the choosing of their spouse. Uh, and it says something about their spiritual leadership. Uh, it also says something about the support and encouragement that he will be receiving in his work. Um, but we, we are in similar fashion to ha how we look at the family of a shepherd and elder, and that reveals something about his spiritual leadership. Uh, we, here we are to look at the family of, of a deacon and see his trustworthiness in fulfilling uh, the primary role that God has given with him in the home. And if he's not, first of all, effectively fulfilling his role, within the home, uh, we, we should not expect that he will faithfully fulfill his role within the church either. Um, and so he must first be faithful in his responsibility to his wife and also to his children. It says good managers of their children in their own household. And so he needs to take his role and responsibility within the home seriously before we would ever consider giving him a role and responsibility uh, within the church. But the last thing I want us to notice here in 1 Timothy 3 uh, is that this is an important decision to make. That it says these men must be tested uh, and approved. And so this is not something that we should take lightly. 
something that we should rush into. This is something that we should give a great deal of, of thought and prayer to. Um, and it requires a certain amount of evaluation of somebody's character, which is not always a comfortable thing. Uh, but as we consider both the appointing of shepherds and deacons, uh, there, it requires that, that we put in some real effort into to cultivating this, into praying about it, into considering this. But it says there in verse 13, uh, concluding this um, section, it says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. As he did from the very beginning, talking about overseers or shepherds, he is commending that this is a good thing. This is a good and commendable work, something that should be desirable. He had said in verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. He says a very similar thing here at the end about deacons. That these are things that we need to um, think seriously about. These are things that, that men need to be desiring and working towards and growing in. Uh, and so... Sometimes we, we look at the responsibilities involved and we think, well, you know, I, I don't know that I'd ever want to do that. Well, God says, no, you should. You should, because this is an important task, because these are things that need to be done. If we have a genuine love for God's people, for God's work, then we are going to be seeking to serve as diakonos, whether it be an uh, official uh, appointed task, or whether it be as all of us are to, as ministers one towards another. So I hope that these lessons will help us as we think about our structure and organization and how we're functioning. Um, We have a lot of growing to do, but it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen by us thinking seriously about what God's desire for us is and working towards that. Um, And so as much as depends on me, as much as depends on you, let's make sure that we are praying about these things, that we're growing in these areas, that we can function effectively the way that God has designed. He is the master builder. Uh, and if this body is, is to function effectively, if this uh, temple is to be built up, it's going to be by following his pattern, by following his direction. If you, in some way, uh, need the prayers of the brethren today, if, if there's something that we can do to, to help you in your relationship with the Lord, uh, we, we always want you to know that you have that opportunity, not just at the end of, of some sermon, um, but, but we do want to make that known, that we're here to support and encourage each other, uh, that, that we're all uh, broken people in need of uh, a Savior. Um, and if there's anything that we can do to point you towards him today, if you need to confess some sin, if you need to ask for the prayers of these brethren, we ask that you'll let us know uh, by, by coming in the aisle as we sing together.